Welcome back to the For Where You Are podcast brought to you by Chapel Street Church. My name is Joe Scavato, and on today's episode, we are going beyond the sermon with a conversation about the purpose of prophecy and how it can impact the everyday life of the everyday Jesus follower. Today, I'm joined by Brian Coffey. Hi, Brian. Hey, uh, I was going to say, Tom, hey, Joe, how you doing? <laughs> Whoever you are. Spoilers. Yep. <laughs> and I'm joined by Tom Ward. Hi, Tom. Hey, Joe. Making your debut on the podcast. Here we are. Good to be here. Exciting to have one of the stars of Wednesday Night Live among us. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm excited to talk to you guys today um, after hearing both of you preach this past weekend, continuing our series in Second Peter, Faith That Finishes. Um, and Tom, why don't you start us off, give us a little elevator pitch of what you just preached about and what we're talking about today. Yeah, uh, like you said, we are now in week two of the of our series on Second Peter called Faith That Finishes. And so Peter started this passage that we studied and preached on this weekend, um, really focusing on reminding his readers of all the stuff that we talked about last week, all the different qualities of what it looks like to be a Jesus follower, to, to live a godly life. And so three times he reminds them, and three times he also mentions that he is about to die soon. And we'll kind of talk about that, I'm sure, as we go. And then he kind of transitions to really to two main reasons of why he can be so confident in the stuff that he's reminding us about. And the first reason is his own personal testimony of the transfiguration of Jesus, which is obviously in several of the gospel accounts. And then he transitions to even the confirmation of the prophecy and how the prophetic word is even more fully confirmed. Um, So kind of the two-prong approach to why we can be so confident in the things that he's reminding us about. Yeah, love it. Brian, what did he miss? (laughs) <laughs> he pretty much got it. Yeah, I think that's 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 the case. I think the two the, the powerful point there is um, personal experience is one thing. Everybody has personal experiences. In our culture, people are good with that. They say, oh, good for you. That's your truth. But that's not my truth. But when he adds the confirmation of the word, now you have uh, you sort of have objective support for what's a subjective experience. So that's the two-pronged approach, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, let's jump into it. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, kind of that first section that you guys went into, which was just this idea of remembering what you've been told, remembering what you've seen, remembering your faith, um, and just not forgetting, I guess, what has been taught. And I'm curious how you see that relating to today's world, just this idea of forgetting what you have been told or forgetting your faith. Um, What do you think causes that? Because I think we can agree that that happens today just as much as it happened 2,000 years ago. Um, What do you think are some causes of that? Okay. Um, There are several reasons why we tend to forget things. One is just over time, things fade. Uh, But in this case, with faith, I think that the stronger um, element of forgetting is just the the voices and pressures and... um, uh, attitudes of our of our of our modern culture. Uh, I think it's very easy for us to um, uh, to be distracted from, or to be sort of uh, pushed away from, or pulled away from what we've been taught faith wise uh, by the the loud voices in our culture that are telling us uh, constantly that what we believe is either old fashioned or. Um, a fairy tale, or uh, just religious mythology, uh, or in some cases, um, uh, dangerous. Uh, and I think um, that uh, all of us—not just young people—young people, young people are, are pushed in this way. But I think all of us 
hear those voices. And, you know, if you think about it, we're in church maybe uh, one day a week or one day every two weeks to hear from God's word, but we are 24 seven Monday through Saturday bombarded with all these other kind of messages. So it's mm-hmm. easy to start to question, uh, question what we believe or to, uh, and, and what Peter's talking about, forget kind of what we believe and its power. Yeah, I just would totally agree with that. I, the word bombarded by just all the noise, all the voices in our culture is exactly what I was thinking. And I, I think I would add that not all those voices are bad necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like there definitely are things, whether mm-hmm. it's on the news or social media or, you know, all the different kind of avenues that might really kind of cause you to, to drift or to stray. But I think so much of it is just the the consistency and the constant pressure of just having all these different directions to go and even even just busyness in life too not just you know news sources and media sources but just having schedules that are so bombarded i think in some ways that was one of the positives that came out of the beginning season of covid where you really didn't have as much to go do and you had the chance you know whether you took advantage of it or not maybe is the question but the chance to really be home and to to really focus in and not just have so much else going on to kind of cloud the rest of your life that's a great point. I remember hearing from so many people saying how, like, you know, we haven't had family dinners every night in years, and they were doing it in COVID, and, and now I think there's that temptation to, well, we're busy again. That that was a season, and now it's over. Um, so in your roles as, as pastors, and Tom, especially for you uh, as one of our high school directors, just interacting with people, what advice do you give, or, or what can we do to keep ourselves grounded to keep ourselves from drifting and, and letting those voices kind of uh, just keeping us from what we know to be true? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I was thinking about the question in light of my own life, but also, yeah, to your point, what what would I, you know, how would I encourage high school students or even middle school students to, to live in this kind of way? I know for me, one of the things that's most beneficial is just being surrounded by other people, being in community. Yeah. We're in a group that meets early in the morning, one day a week where we memorize scripture and, and talk about it each week. And just kind of that constant flow, like always having something to really kind of focus in on and then having people to go and talk to about and, and hold accountable. Um, for me, that's been something that's been really important. And I've seen that over the course of the last few years with with high school students, whether it's stuff that we've kind of organized for them more so here, like a D group or a, a trip or a retreat or something like that, or even just a handful of students who've really taken initiative and, and created small group communities where they can just kind of do life together and, and, and walk with Jesus in, a, in a kind of that consistent way um, in community. I, that's been something that I've, I've noticed in recent years. That's been really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, you talking about that just reminded me of a, of a story from my own life. Um, you know, I grew up in, in a pastor's home in the church. And by the time I went away to college, I would have said, uh, I knew what I believed, but, but I wasn't terribly mature in what I believed. Um, and so in college, uh, there's all those voices. I did not go to a Christian school, and uh, and it was my faith was challenged um, almost right away by people who were were smarter than me and didn't have my experience. They didn't believe the way I did. And but I but I remember um, I I somehow found this little a little prayer cell through a Christian group on campus that I joined up for, and they met on Thursday nights in a dorm room. It was five or six other students that I didn't know personally, and they weren't really my friends, but um, they were all followers of Jesus, and all we did was sort of pray together and remind each other 
that in that atmosphere that we were all in, that we weren't crazy, that we weren't um, somehow uh, uh, old fashioned. And that one little, that one little strand, I think held me uh, close to my faith, even when all the rest of the week, um, everything I believed was sort of being challenged. So I think to, to put that in a nutshell is, is we, we have to sit under consistent teaching from the word, either studying on our own or listening to people teach it. And we need to be with other people who speak our language and remind us, encourage us, sometimes hold us accountable to what it is that we do believe. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I think, um, and Tom, you mentioned it in your, in your recap, um, how Peter mentions at this point in the letter that he knows his time on earth is short um, in the midst of these reminders. Do you think there's a significance to that happening, those, you know, in close relation of, you need to remember this because I'm not going to be around? Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's a, a beautiful little uh, picture of, of, of what, of the responsibility that Peter felt now as an apostle. Uh, that uh, his passion or his his concern was not that he was going to die or how he was going to die, which was most likely gruesome and and incredibly painful um, to be crucified. Um, it, that wasn't his concern. Where I think would would be on my mind a lot, but his concern <laughs> was his passion was leaving a legacy for those who needed guidance, who were, who were, who were going to be without, um, the leadership of the apostles as they died off. So, um, that's touching to me because as a father, as a pastor, as now a grandfather, it, it makes you think a little bit about legacy. What, what do we leave behind that far outlives our lifetime? And that's a, that's an encouraging challenge. And it's a, it's a sobering challenge. Yeah. Um, but it's a beautiful example, I think. Yeah. I'd- I agree with this, the spiritual legacy piece that Peter is leaving. That's something I mentioned in my sermon, too. Like if I, I, and I mentioned it because it's been something that after reading this text, I've really been, been thinking about and, and considering for myself. Like if, if I had one moment to tell, you know, fill in the blank, one thing I kind of mentioned in my sermon, a few different options, but I've really been thinking about our, our daughter or, or my wife. We have an eight-month-old daughter. She turns eight months old on Tuesday, which is exciting. But, uh, but yeah, what is that, uh, that, that reminder and that encouragement, and we'll kind of get to some more of that, I think in a minute, but, um, that's been challenging for me. What do I want my legacy to be? There's so many things that you can kind of fill in the blank with that response, but the, the idea of, of the spiritual legacy and what does that really look like? That's been something, again, that's been really challenging me. And so I, yeah, it's been, been good for me to read and preach this text for, for that reason and for probably several others as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, no matter what stage of life you're in, there's there's always a legacy you're leaving, mm-hmm. whether it's family or, or just people in your life and people you work with, people you go to school with, whoever mm-hmm. it is, um, you always leave behind something. Um, I'm curious. So so we, Peter goes on, he talks about this moment, this the, the transfiguration of Christ. And kind of talks about that as his own personal experience with Jesus. And I think you guys touched on this a little bit, but talk about why you think he chose this particular moment of Jesus' ministry. I mean, Peter went through it all. He, he saw everything. Jesus did so many things. Why this moment of all moments to say, I saw this. This is why I can say I know who Jesus is. Yeah, we kind of touched on uh, 
in in the sermon how like I think we all know Peter was a disciple, but he was also in that inner three closest to Jesus, right. meaning that he got to witness. You, you would imagine almost every day of Jesus' life for three years doing all different kinds of performing miracles, teaching and preaching. So it is kind of startling or even confusing at first glance. Like, why would he pick this moment of everything that he witnessed? But um, it's because it was so incredibly powerful. I don't think we can even really map, wrap our minds around um, just what that would have been like to be on that mountain, to see the transfiguration of Jesus and glowing, his clothes dazzling, Moses and Elijah showing up. Like it almost feels like a fairy tale, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah. it just kind of just is this wild, crazy story. Um, but it was all, is, I think, for Peter, so much confirming so much of what he's already witnessed of who Jesus is. This is before the resurrection, so it'll probably be even more solidified, but um, just so so amazing to see that experience and then to kind of, we talked about having almost somewhat of a preview of what the second coming of Christ will be like. Yeah, I, I jump in there, it dawned on me, and I told Tom this as we were preparing for the for the sermon, that uh, in, all, in all my years and studies, I don't think I'd ever preached or taught specifically on the transfiguration. Not really sure why. Um, almost made it to the end, I guess. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Not really sure why. Maybe it's just because it's a strange story, a little weird uh, 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 moment in the gospel stories that it's hard to make sense of. But in going back I, I, and having to really look at it, um, while it is a weird story where they're on the mountaintop and, and, and Jesus begins to, sh- his face shines like the sun, his clothes take on this dazzling light, terrifying in some ways, uh, 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 Moses and Elijah show up and all that. Um, it sounds like a dream sequence, but when you break it down, it's, it's a, a really a revelation of who Jesus is. Like Tom said, this is pre-risen Christ, pre-resurrection. So you see that he is the, the, the son of God the Father. That's how God identifies him in the voice from the cloud. And, he's, and he receives honor and glory from the Father. You see something about... Um, him being greater than the law and the prophets because Moses represents the law and Elijah represents all the prophets. Yet God the Father says, this is my son, listen to him. And then with the whole thing with the light and all, I think that is, a, I think, a, a veiled reference to what uh, Jesus' glory will be like, his majesty in, in, the, in the second coming. Uh, so Peter gets this glimpse, kind of this preview into the new heaven and new earth in a sense. And, and so when he comes here to... to anchor his personal testimony, he goes back to that. He could have gone back to a lot of things, but that's the first time he saw the, the true identity of and majesty of, of, the, of the, the Lord he followed, and uh, he never forgot that. So I, I, I now look back and see, and see more in that story of transfiguration than just a weird Bible story. Yeah, wow. Seems like you should have been preaching it earlier. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> so. So then here's, here's, I think, a follow-up question that my guess is some people might have. So we're talking about having this personal experience with Jesus, this personal encounter. And I think when people think of that, they think of a story like that where it's this big dramatic moment and, you know, it's a, it's a miracle. It's something that can't be explained. And they might say, I don't have that. Like, uh, so does, does that mean I haven't encountered Christ? Um, how would you answer that question? Yeah. Well, the way you phrase that is, is really good. Um, I would start by saying uh, when we read the Bible or the New Testament, what we, we have to understand 
that the entire story of, of God that we have in the Bible, the gospel itself, is grounded in in personal stories and personal experiences, uh, real people, real time, real places, and 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 then they wrote it down and they passed it on because these were powerful experiences. Uh, so that's the first thing that that uh, we are. In t- I think God wants us to experience Him and to have a story. Now, the other side of that question is, does it have to be dramatic? No, I don't think so. Sometimes it is. I've heard hundreds and hundreds of faith stories uh, in my lifetime, and some are very dramatic and very emotional and very clear and sound a little bit like Peter talking about the transfiguration. But other other stories I hear are not as emotional, not as dramatic. They are almost more uh, matter-of-fact, like, uh, like you would— um, like a feeling you have when you sign a contract uh, to buy a new house or something. It's not terribly emotional, but it's a, but it's a done deal. Uh, so I think I've often said uh, many people, some people come to faith, some people think their way into faith. It starts with intellectual questions, and they read and they study and they learn, and their hearts catch up later. Other people feel their way into faith, that is, they have a powerful emotional experience that later they understand when they read the Word. And I think either way, you get to the same place. So I just encourage people to to pay attention and to look for the God moments in their life because he wants you to have an experience of him personally. Our faith is personal, and yet it doesn't have to match anybody else's story. Mm. And then you can find confirmation of your story as you continue to understand and read and learn uh, God's Word, and that'll explain it to you. Yeah, I kind of put on my high school pastor hat for a second and Mm -hmm. just been thinking about the different retreats and mission trip experiences that, that we take with students and how often... I think some of it is just getting away from all the noise and the distraction that we talk about. But but often those moments are really where God shows up and, and does things. And there's lots of reasons for why, but I think some students almost feel disappointed or like they're you know getting a raw deal if that doesn't happen for them. And I, th- yeah. I think there is a lot of teaching of the stuff that you just said that in some ways it happens, those experiences with Jesus in such a big, powerful um, way. And, and sometimes it's somewhere in the middle. I actually shared in my sermon, a little bit of my story on a mission trip in Ecuador when I was a junior in high school. And that over the course of those two weeks, that was really kind of a, my life kind of took a 180, and God kind of took a hold of me and, and changed me in a lot of ways. But I don't ever remember there being this one specific majestic moment on a mountain. Um, and I think, yeah, to the other side, though, you might have that, you might have somewhere in the middle, or it might be just the slower process. Um, and I think I agree with everything you were talking about, Brian, that all of those scenarios are equally important. And I, th- I think it's also interesting that if you read through, when you read through the, the gospel narratives in particular, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and these stories come to us, even in the book of Acts, you see lots of different kinds of personal stories. Um, you have Peter telling these dramatic stories from his life, but then you have someone like Thomas who just wanted to know. He had questions, and Jesus answered those questions, and he, and he fell on his knees immediately by seeing his questions answered. And then we, you keep looking for these little personal stories, and I, and I think if we read carefully and thoughtfully and we read the word listening to it, Sometimes it'll confirm your own story. Oh, I've had that. I I've had that experience. So that's more like me. Uh, that that person. That's why all these people and names are in the New Testament because uh, we all, while we all experience Jesus and He comes to us all, He comes to us uh, in different ways, in personal ways. And every faith story is is similar in that in that they're all about Jesus, but they're each individual, almost like a fingerprint. 
I remember um, I remember learning this probably maybe my freshman or sophomore year of college. Um, I remember being sitting in a chapel service, and I think it was like a summit week type thing. They brought in a big speaker and a band and all this stuff. And, and I remember sitting there, and it seemed like everyone around me was like, you know, they were worshiping with all their hearts. They were having this moment with the Holy Spirit, and I was just sitting there. And mm-hmm. I was like, I just wanted that so badly because mm-hmm. I... I thought like, man, like something's wrong with my relationship with God. And, and it felt so like disheartening to just kind of be almost feel empty. Um, and yet I look back at that time as a season of just so much spiritual growth, um, where God was working in just a different way than I wanted him to. Um, and I think that kind of speaks to a little bit of what Peter's getting at here of how personal, experience at one moment isn't everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about the, the next half of that, um, just this idea of, of prophecy and of, of the Word. How, how should we interact with prophecy? How, how should we think about this section that he's talking about? Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, uh, prophecy, to most of us, uh, w- when we think about it, it seems uh, like a very... Um, Bible-y thing, like um, um, a mysterious thing, and we tend to think of these ancient prophecies as being predictors of the future, but that's not really the primary role of prophecy. The primary role of prophecy, as I understand it, was a little bit like we think of preaching and teaching today. It was reminding people uh, of what God had said and who God is and what he uh, promises to do and what he's going to do. So it's, it's a re, really reminder and calling people back to their God in obedience, in relationship, and warning of consequences of disobedience. So it's a lot like what we think about preaching today. It's, it's a little different, but it's a lot like that. So uh, the way I think we interact when we read these, um, if we go back and read you know, Jeremiah or Isaiah, we read them as they're speaking to a specific people at a specific time about specific issues, but there are there are truths in there and reminders in there that, that are applicable to how we think about God, how we respond to God. Not direct, I mean, uh, and we need to be careful about that, but there are things that we, that we can learn there. But I tend to think of it like, kind of like we, like we talk about preaching, that we are not so much predicting the future as reminding people, this is who God is, this is what he said, and this is what he's done, and this is what he's going to do. It's a lot of what Peter is doing in this passage, too, mm-hmm. the, reminding us of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's going to do. And I, I always think that it's it's interesting reading through some of those books. You mentioned Isaiah and Jeremiah, just on the perspective that we have 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus and just seeing, like be, being able to kind of see all those dots be connected. Mm-hmm. I think you, you read those books in the time when they were written or, or the stories was, were being told. And it probably just seemed like a bunch of things that were confusing and unclear. But yeah, on this side of it, it's amazing to see even all the references in the Gospels back to those different mm. verses and just all the all the messianic prophecies that have come true. And it's a lot of what Peter was talking about. All this stuff has come true in the lifetime of the people reading Second Peter. And so you can also trust that the second coming of Jesus is also going to happen as well. Yeah, it, it, you reminded me of how... I read Revelation where it's like, this doesn't really make sense. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. it sounds great, but what's it going to, I don't it's a know. It's teaser for the summer too. Summer series, Revelation coming soon. <laughs> yep. So give us some, some final thoughts or, or advice for someone um, who's trying to just wrestle through this well, trying to balance both personal experience in their faith and, and what they know to be true in the Word of God. How would you uh, just counsel someone to remember um, what's important in their faith? Yeah, I think the, going back to what Tom said earlier, it, the, um, 
personal experience matters. I mean, and we are, we are uh, as human beings, we are designed to, to, for a relationship with God. And that's a mysterious thing. I, and the Bible presents us uh, with a God who is personal, who knows us, who loves us, who communicates with us. And, and we, will, we can have these experiences, these deeply personal experiences, sort of mountaintop experiences, yet he boundaries those and, and um, explains those to us by his word. So, so those, the dual prongs of personal experience, whether it's prayer, whether it's uh, uh, some emotional type experience, whether it's listening to someone speak, um, and, and then the word. And the word... Without the word, those personal experiences can drift into all sorts of different things. Right. But with the word, we have the sort of the boundaries of the river, um, with which, inside which we can know that's an experience of of God, not not our own emotional or experience of, of you know of something else happening in our lives. So it's those two it's those two prongs: personal experience and the word that Peter focuses on. And I think that's wise for us too. To to we 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 they we should have both experiences and hold them both uh, with. Um, equal uh, importance. Yeah, I think being grounded in those in those two experiences that you mentioned and then not forgetting, just remembering. I think that's so much of what stood out to me in this passage that, yeah, again, the last thing he wants to say is to remember three times in three different ways. And we were talking in the early stages of preparing for the sermon, almost wondering, like, do we skip these few verses? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just the same stuff that we talked about last <laughs> week. Does that make any sense to reiterate? Because there's so much else happening with the transfiguration and the prophecy in the text. Um, but that really, I think for me, was one of the things that really stood out, that I need to continually be reminded and focus on those experiences that I have had with Jesus, and then also the Word, to really allow that to be part of what lays the foundation of my life, yeah. and, and to really allow that to, to guide me. And so I think, yeah, those kind of those three pieces all together, or really remembering those those other two pieces, um, has been has been one, big in my life. Yeah, yeah one, and one of the roles of, of the Word, the Bible, uh, is to remind us when we're not having those experiences of closeness with God or mm-hmm. or sensing His His presence overwhelming us. We we can have those. But there are whole seasons where we don't, and I can't really explain that. But during those times, uh, we go back to the Word, and the Word reminds us that even though you aren't feeling this or seeing this around you, even though the world looks dangerous and out of control, uh, these these truths from, from Scripture, which is inspired by God, given to us by God, remind us that this is true, even if you don't feel it right now, and and to hang on to that until those experiences sort of catch up and we see kind of what God's been up to and what he's been doing in our lives. Yeah, I wonder if that's part of why Peter refers, I think at the ESV, it says to stir you up mm-hmm. by way of reminder, which I think literally means to wake you up, mm-hmm. realizing yeah. that you won't always feel that personal closeness, but you can still mm-hmm. focus in on God's word and allow it to speak to you. Mm-hmm. That's really good, Brian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Love it. Um it's time. Come on now. All right. For Joe wants to We've been to waiting. Know. We've been Man. waiting. Everyone's been waiting for it. This question actually comes from one of our listeners. So thank you, Thomas, for this question. I want to give credit where credit is due. But here is what Joe and Thomas wants to know. <laughs> if you could join any fictional sports team, Ooh. what team would you join and what position would you want on that team? Tom, let's start with you. 
Oh, we're going youngest first, huh? We're going mm-hmm. youngest first. You know, I've thought and prayed and debated with my <laughs> wife a lot about this over the past few hours where I've been aware of this question. And it's really hard. It's I, My mind went a million places. It first went to a lot of things that aren't fictional, which is not the question. So that's kind of out of bounds of, of your river that you were talking about a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought of a lot of different characters. So maybe I'll kind of bring you through a few and then land yeah, on sure. what Let's I believe to be maybe the most... The, probably the best possible option, but Pablo Sanchez from the backyard baseball a basketball classic. series. I mean, he's just kind of the best at everything, uh, but I didn't really know what team he would associate with. So that kind of went in a different direction. Sure. I also thought about Vince Vaughn's character from dodgeball. Uh, I think it's Peter Lafleur. If you can dodge a wrench, you can, can dodge a ball. Exactly. Uh, but I landed on what I think is the right answer. I don't know. Maybe you'll even have the same answer once you hear this. We'll see. But uh, obviously it's Space Jam. Sure, joining joining the Looney Tunes team, and there's a lot of options there. Yeah, I mean, what, obviously, what are you taking? be great to be MJ or Bugs Bunny, but I think probably the most possible would be to be Bill Murray's character <laughs> in Space. <laughs> He's a Cubs fan too. Kind of makes a few his, jokes in there. Yeah, and you're good. it's funny. Brief yeah. cameo. Yeah. So I think I'm Bill Murray from the Looney Tunes team in, in Space Jam, and we'll see if maybe he makes a appearance in Space Jam Two whenever that comes out. It's an incredible pick. It is. It's a good <laughs> pick, but I, there is a joke there to be had about Tom being on the Looney Tunes team, but I won't make it right it's now. Too easy. I think Low you just did. A little too, yeah. too, little too <laughs> easy. Um, no, good. A good choice. I really like also the mention of Pablo Sanchez too, because my my boys played that video game growing up and I used to watch them hit with Pablo. He, and he, could, awesome. he could do it yeah. all. Five tool, I'm, player. I'm a, tool player. I'm, yeah, I was absolutely. attracted to that too because as a boy uh, I, I dreamed about being second baseman for the Yankees um, but that's a real team even though it's an imaginary uh, dream. Uh, my, <laughs> my, my, first, my first hero in baseball was not a superstar, but it was the second baseman Bobby Richardson, who I who I heard speak once, who was who was a Christian, and so is that he was, why second base? Or yeah, just, yeah, he was second okay. baseman for the Yankees, um, and he um, ended up. I heard him speak one time. My dad took me to a, a, him preach at a church in New York City while he was still playing. Um, so, but that, that that's an imaginary thing. But that was a real team. But I've come down to it. I eventually fell in love with basketball as a boy. I played on in high school and college. So I think my fictional team would be the. Uh, the Hickory basketball team from Hoosiers with Gene Hackman as the coach. Norm, what was his name? Norm? I forgot his real his name in the movie. But I would be Jimmy Chitwood. I would I would be Jimmy <laughs> Chitwood, shooting guard and uh, state championship hero sure. on the Hickory yeah. basketball team. Hey, that's hard to go wrong with that. That's a classic. Yeah. That's a good pick. I don't know yep. if you missed a shot in the entire movie, so that's probably fair. No, enough. he didn't. Um, and as I remember my high school career, I, I um I missed a lot of shots, but I dreamed about being that that, <laughs> that 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 hero at the end of the game, taking that last shot. And yeah, Jimmy Chitwood. It's a great pick. Yeah. I would personally go with uh, quarterback for the Dillon Panthers, season one of Friday Night Lights. Oh, there you go. QB two, Matt Saracen stepping in, <laughs> leading the team to a championship. Wow, that is very specific. I, I've spent a lot of time thinking. Yeah, about this. I mean, we've never even got to Sandlot too. I feel like the Sandlot is. Oh good man, Sandlot. Yeah. I kind of wondered, Brian, Benny if you were going to go there. Benny the Jet. Yeah, Benny the yeah. Jet. We could with probably talk flyers. another thirty minutes on yeah. just this question, and maybe we should offline. <laughs> maybe we'll release a bonus episode with just <laughs> <Yeah>. this question. <laughs> All right, good deal. Thank you guys. Thanks for joining us and talking some fictional sports and also some second Peter. And thanks for listening to the For Where You Are podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and share this with a friend if it has helped you in your faith journey. We'll talk to you soon.